three, two, one. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the It's Telehealth podcast. I am so excited to bring a really important conversation, but more importantly, an amazing guest to the show today, Courtney Herring. Thank you so much for coming. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me today. I'm super, super excited for this conversation. Absolutely. So, you know, when me, you and I first met on LinkedIn, I recognized you for the powerhouse that you are and helping a lot of providers make the change into private practice. But I also know that over the last couple of months, you've been in transition as well. You've started your own new venture. You've been on the move. You're living in a new state. Why don't you give everybody a little bit of understanding about your background, where you came from and where you're at today? Yes. So I am originally from Rochester, New York. I lived outside. It was a suburb. It's called Pittsford, New York. I'm going to say it like phonetically, um, not Pittsburgh, but Pittsford, New York. Um, I lived there, you know, basically all of my life um, with my parents and my cat. Uh, one of the things that I love to do when I was young, just really quick, is um, running because usually what we're going to talk about today will probably bring up some kind of um, running or athleticism because it's important as I process things in business. So I always talk about that. Um, I was a D1 scholarship athlete. And then what I did was I went into social work. Um, I love to help people. I've always loved people. I was the kid that was always talking in the background when I was supposed to be listening, but trust me, I was Oprah, right? I was totally Oprah when I was, <laughs> totally. So um, I'm, you know, the person that you come to, you know, when things are going well, not going well, um, I just love to help people. Um, fast forward all the way, you know, to kind of present 2016. Um, my son was health compromised. I had him 9-21-2016. They didn't know what was going on with his liver. Because of that, things kind of, you know, moved a little quickly. I did um, lose my job. I was a social worker. And that was because I had to make a choice between either taking care of my son in the hospital or going to work. Obviously, I chose that. Um, with that kind of transition, I morphed myself into an entrepreneur that focuses on healthcare. Um, and through the journey with my son, I was a patient, if you think about it, with him, right? I was his advocate. So I saw a lot of things that I felt could change. And since I still want to help people and I still believe in healthcare, even though I wasn't in it, this is the way that I feel that I'm able to give back is by helping them serve us. And then they also serve themselves through giving, right? So as we kind of go even further up. So let's kind of go through, you know, fast forward again to 2022. Yes, I've gone through a lot of um, different transitions. Um, my fiance, you know, got a promotion. So now we have moved from Atlanta, Georgia, everybody, okay, to Mississippi. So I live in Ridgeland, Mississippi. Um, it's very, I actually like it. There's a lot of outdoor activities. So we're outside a lot more, which is super cool. Um, and during this time, as we know, with the move, if any of you have moved, you know, the stress of the move. So, okay. We're still, we're still doing that, but we know where things are now. I know where my schools are. Um, so, you know, getting my son into school, huge, huge thing. But the biggest thing that I have been doing is creating healthcare and business. I believe that a lot of the things that kind of go wrong in healthcare is because of the business aspect that is behind it. Um, I never question a provider's ability to help somebody. Um, I know you can stitch them up, you know, help them with therapy, all that stuff. That's, we've got that down. I mean, come on, 
we're very good at what we do, but we don't have, you know, a business mindset and the stigma that I'm trying to, you know, kind of, I guess not have is that we can still be healers and still get paid for it. Right. Cause when you think of healthcare and business, you're like, Oh my gosh, but it's like, no, in order to keep it open and have my supplies, I have to get paid for it. So that's kind of, you know, what I'm doing. I want to show people the way and give them, you know, that kind of guidance and safety net so that they can build their practices as an enterprise and not just like a one hit wonder or not at all So go ahead. Well, healthcare is in itself in a time of transition. And so, you know, you playing that niche role of a provider, recognizing that there is a business side to healthcare as well is incredibly important. Because one thing that I heard um, from a business mogul of somebody who I follow was Mm -hmm. helping chiropractors as an example. And the comment from a chiropractor was, I go to school, I get this certification, I can now provide these hands-on services, but nobody tells me how to run the business side of my practice. And so you get out and you have this fancy degree, if you will, the certification to heal people, but now you don't understand all the metrics on the back end that come along with that. And so you talk about that a lot on LinkedIn on how people need to be able to business and quantify their practice. Why is that so, so important that sometimes people are missing it? So it's very important because when you're in either medical school or you're going for that degree, like, you know, social worker, whatever, what have you, as you just said, yes, we learn how to treat people, how to help people, right? But in order for this business to run, because I I think a lot of times we, we don't even see it as a business, right? We almost see it as this is my calling. This is what I'm doing, you know, but you're not. If, if it was a t-shirt business, right? Or if we were selling like, even like, you know, this marker, it'd be different, right? You'd think, well, how much is this marker? How many do I have to sell, right? We're thinking of more of emotional, I would say products, right? Mm-hmm. How do we quantify emotional products? Because it feels so good to give, right? But we miss that. So with business and with healthcare and business, what I talk about all the time is, yeah, how to quantify that. How many people do you need to see to to get your bills paid, right? Um, How many people do you need to see so you're not completely burnt out? Um, I believe that the system is actually created for you to work for someone. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I tell people this all the time. Now, entrepreneurship and owning your own private practice That is such an individualized thing, right? So I'm not here to down anyone who works at a hospital, a group, or an agency. But I will tell you, if you don't fit in that place, there are some fundamentals that you have to have. And you have to understand business because they don't teach you that. Literally, you walk out and then you work for an agency that takes care of all that. See, you're still only feeding emotional. You're not actually selling a product. So I need them to know and understand that this is a product. This is healthcare. Right. And it's okay. Right. It's not bad that you're getting paid for it. Mm -hmm. I hope that makes sense. It does make sense. I mean, that, like you said, and that's not something that I think a lot of people do not realize, but you are groomed from the very beginning to follow under or to fall underneath a larger umbrella and to play a certain role or play a cog in the larger system that is healthcare in general. And so that transition and getting into your own private practice is sometimes incredibly daunting. And I know a lot of people on the mental and behavioral health side, as of recently, for sure, have find themselves needing more flexibility and independence to be able to deliver their services. 
there's a couple of people here helping right now. So what are some of the key things that you identify very early when somebody's going to make that transition out of the larger system to private practice? What are some of their needs? Sure. So the first need is to get organized. Remember, we were groomed from the beginning. So a lot of people, you know, in the agency, they actually have all of our stuff. So let me explain, where's your license? Where are some of these things like, um, it's called the CAQH, right? Where is that password? Um, if you're using your NPI number and all that stuff, a lot of those agencies create that stuff for us. Well, guess what? That's our stuff. Mm-hmm. You have to know where that is. So the first thing, you know, if you want to create a private practice is for you to be organized. Literally, all of your stuff you have to have. Like, even in a binder. That's one thing that I create for people when they're done creating private practices is a whole binder, even their passwords for, I would say, on um, their Wi-Fi, right? You, you have to know where all of this stuff is. And I know it sounds very strange, but a lot of times when I'm working with people, they don't know where any of that stuff is. Like DEA licenses or originals, you know, all you we need all of that. Right. So the first thing is to get organized to understand what you don't have, right? Because you need all of those licenses, all of that stuff at your fingertips to have it Mm -hmm. so that you're even able to play in the sandbox. Um, I'll give you three things. So that's organized. The next is, what are you going to be? Are you going to be a solo provider? Are you going to build a group practice? What does this look like to you? So I always tell people when I meet with them, what does this look like to you? Explain to me even how it would look if I'm walking in a brick and mortar or if I'm going on a telehealth with you. Mm-hmm. What do you want me to feel? How do you want me to go through your system? Because that's going to tell me a lot about you and how and you want your services to actually be rendered, right? And then the next thing is your culture. A lot of times right now, especially with COVID, unfortunately, so many of us are burnt out. We've helped everyone but ourselves. So then we're like, we want to get out. We want to get out. We got organized. We got all of this stuff. But do you want to continue to mimic some of those workplace behaviors that are toxic? No, right? And I know you don't, but we also were groomed for a lot of that. So we don't understand that some of this stuff is not good, right? When you go out or out of an, an agency or a facility. So I always tell them, Think about how would you like your workplace culture to be? Because that's very important because then we have our mission statement and we have our purpose and then you know where you're going. Yeah, you're really helping people represent themselves in the modern world. You know, coming out into this new space is quite scary. Being organized is a fundamental part of that, but also recognizing who you want to be representing and who you want yourself and your image to represent in the environment um, is equally as important. And I would guess that, you know, when you're helping people really make this transition, how you're representing your culture as a change agent is also a huge component of that. Has that been something at your in your career that you've ever struggled with and trying to help people kind of make that transition to stand up on their own? How's that been? Yes, yes. So what I always want people to know is, again, if you don't fit in to certain things, that still doesn't mean that you can't be who you want to be. Mm-hmm. And I, and I say that because in so many of the little like jobs or things that I've done in the past, I never really fit. in. I always wanted to fix something. Mm-hmm. I always so saw something that needed to be fixed. I wasn't, um, you know, disrespectful, but it was like, Hey, can't we do it like this way? Like people don't want to hear that. Right. Cause it's not my, it's not their business. 
So I, I tell people this all the time is, you know, if, if you want to do something, you can create it, but you have to make sure that you also know who you are and, and are you able to kind of stand your ground in order to create that, mm -hmm. right? Um, there's some really, really great, you know, doctor's offices where you walk in and it's like a spa, right? So, you know, that person is like super Zen, right? So that's the therapist or the doctor that you want. If that matches you, like your personality, right? So yes, I am usually the person even professionally and, or even personally, I am going to help you walk again. Right. Because a lot of times we can't see what other people see and in us. Yeah. Right. So I, I try for, to help people see that they are worth it and they can do whatever they would like to do. And that's, you know, help people in private practice. Yeah. One of the most freeing experiences that I've had as I've gotten older and become a little bit more successful is recognizing that you have a lot of control over what you want to represent in the world. Right. And so, you know, a huge part of me developing my business on the mental and behavioral health side comes to thinking about an overall brand and yeah. who we want to be represented as and what we want people to feel when they think of us. Right. And so we're going through a lot of changes right now and really starting to really think about that stuff very seriously. Mm -hmm. You as a leader um, and being in healthcare in general, you know, one of the topics of discussion that I've always been subconsciously aware of is there is not a ton of, I would say, Black representation in healthcare in general. And so right. how are you navigating that space as a change agent and as a leader of your own organization, helping people kind of stand up on their two feet? Do you ever feel like you have to show up in a certain way to represent who you are, communicate in a certain way? And do you think there are any type of differences in, from your professional and then your personal life? And I ask that because I know that you are originally mm -hmm. from New York State. You've been in yes. Atlanta and now you're in Missouri or you're in uh, Mississippi. And those are all different cultural differences as well. And so I kind of wonder how you navigate that space. Yeah. So when I started this journey, I really started on, you know, the platform LinkedIn. So I am on mostly all of the platforms, you know, social media platforms. And one of the things that I did not see was you know, a lot of African-American, Black leaders, people of color. I didn't see that many. Um, and I always questioned why. And especially with that in healthcare, right? We, we are people who, you know, are served, obviously, right, by healthcare. You know, it's kind of like, you know, where are we? Um, I'm seeing, you know, more now. And I, I always stand at this point. If I don't see somebody right? That I feel like represents me or, or represents whatever I'm thinking, then that's the person that I have to be, right? Because it might be you. I tell people this all the time. They'll say, oh, I don't see this person. Well, then guess what? It's you. So you might as well, you know, you're, you're going to do it, right? Yeah. So <laughs> that's what one of the things that I'm trying to do, because in order for things to change in healthcare, you also have to have people that look like you, right? To help that change. And, you know, we have to also have a seat at the table. You don't have a seat at the table if you're not visible. Yeah. And as you know, and I would say this culturally, you know, we're not always on social media all over the place, right? We do believe in privacy. We do believe in that. But the only thing about that is that it could hinder us in certain things to be that change maker or that change agent. So to be the change agent, again, you know, you have to be visible. 
So with that being said, um, I have seen like a lot of like the celebrity doctors, you know, people like that, but not many bootstrapping people that are like on, on the, you know, kind of ground zero or, or whatever you want to say. And I'm not sure what that is. And I'll tell you why, because even though I've been in like different hospital systems and things like that, you know, they, there are, you know, some, but there's not that many. And I, I do want to change that. I want because if you're not at the table, you can't make decisions and you can't have or give examples, right, to people who are the decision makers of why maybe this policy is not good for this type of person, mm -hmm. right? And I do believe that the world is good. There's a lot of crazy things and horrible things that are happening, but I do believe the underlying people are good. But if you're not at the table, they can't make the decision. They yeah. don't know. Right. Does that ever, does that responsibility that you're describing ever weigh heavy on you as the person, Courtney? Because, yeah. you know, with this world that we live in now, especially, you know, social media, it's becoming more and more video based. We are having to be out there more often. Yeah. And the more people that I talk to, especially on LinkedIn, still have a hesitancy and an insecurity to get on camera and to actually represent their voice effectively. Yeah. But when I hear you describe, you know, the responsibility that the far and few of us in between have, we almost yeah. have to double down and do the work for everybody behind us. And yes. so I wonder how you kind of cope with that uh, feeling of responsibility, because that can be incredibly daunting. It can be really heavy to carry. Yes. So it is heavy to carry. Um, but before I get into how heavy it is, you know, that we're so positive, right? So mm -hmm. we love positivity. I know that I'm doing well when people that are completely random will message me and they will be, you know, of color or Latina or, you know, gays and lesbians, whatever, right? And they'll say, you helped me because you showed up today. So that is one reason why I do it. And I do it as many times as I can. Yeah. But yes, it is difficult because I can't make the decisions, you know, for everybody, you know what I mean? <laughs> I can't, um, you know, be that person that speaks for everyone. I'm here to represent, mm -hmm. if that makes sense, but I'm not going to speak for everybody. Um, one of the things that sometimes is, is kind of hard is, you know, also the representation of you. How do you show up on video? What does your hair look like? Do you have makeup on? You know, all of that, all of that stuff in of itself can be extremely difficult. Uh, people believe that, you know, we should show up a certain way. So what I do like is that, you know, especially natural hair is coming out of the woodwork. I'm like, yes, go natural hair, right? So you might see me doing something up, but right now it's hot y'all. So I gotta wear a headband and all of this stuff. So that's not what's happening. But, um, and I'm not always full makeup on, but for Keenan, we're gonna do that. So that we look very nice, you know, as yeah. we can but yes, it's, it, it can be super hard because like I said, I don't speak for everyone, but I have to represent because if I'm the only person in the room, I have to have something to say because I'm there mm -hmm. and that's I hope I'm doing the best job. You know, um, that's the thing, right? You can't speak for everyone, but you have to. <laughs> yeah. And so you hope you couple everybody in and everything is good. Um, but yeah, it, it, it can be tough. 
it can be hard and showing up every day is tough. I have a five-year-old. I don't know if you all hear him in the background, but this is, this is life. This is Courtney Herring .com. And um, it's, it's hard. It's hard to show up every day and, and say who you are. Um, but I will tell you in the beginning, and this happens a lot um, with uh, black people, people of color. In the beginning, I never showed my face. I only did advertising because I wasn't sure people were going to take me seriously because of the color of my skin, because there weren't that many people in healthcare. So I wasn't sure if I would be judged even with that. So I talked to a lot of people. This is one thing that I always do, Keenan, you know, on any podcast, I'm going to tell you what is it, what it is. Okay. Yeah. A lot of, especially um, women mm -hmm. are, they're not sure if they want to show up online actually with their face. They're not sure if everyone will buy from them if they know that it's a black owned company mm -hmm. and this is healthcare like yeah. billing all of that stuff with stigmas right um they're they're questioning you know are they gonna you know feel as though i'm legitimate mm -hmm. and this is a so that's I a talk through that a lot of times with people and that's why i show up a lot because i've helped them they're like oh well she's showing up i'm gonna show up yeah so right. when you say that you have to talk through that with people, you mean you have to either convince people extra that you're going to do the job effectively, or you're yes. by you're consistently and showing up, you're helping people understand that subconsciously. Actually, it's both. Yeah. So I will give you an example. Every time I was a social worker, I had so I was I worked in crisis. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking you know, people that were having completely severe mental health issues. Okay. We're not talking about depression, anxiety. I'm talking about somebody who might not realize that they have clothes on or someone who has had suicidal, someone who has had audio or visual hallucinations, somebody that just witnessed a suicide, like severe. Okay. Yeah. So what I used to do was I would have to go to their houses. Well, here I come showing up because I did that in North Carolina. I used to live in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I'd show up at their house. And a lot of times when they were not, they did not look like me, they would ask me what credentials I have. So I would literally almost have to interview before I was able to treat them. Yeah. And that was difficult because why would they send me? Like who? <laughs> and I'm just here to make sure you're safe. I'm not here to say you're whoever you are. I don't care who you are. I need to make sure you're safe right? and keeping people around you. But every time, um, well, most of the time I would have to do my own interview. I would have a, a, another interview just to you help them or actually the actual person or the family member. Like they, it was like a distrust of, does this woman even know what she's talking about? Yes, I do. I'm totally, yeah. Yeah, qualified, <laughs> qualified to be here. Um, and showing up for the right reason. You know, I think that, you know, you made a statement a couple seconds ago that was before we started talking down this path was, you know, we are so positive. So it's important to recognize yeah. the positive things. One yeah. thing that I think is incredibly important for people to recognize is although we show up with positive attitudes and positive messages, that does not mean that we are not still dealing with the struggles, the trials right. and the tribulations that everybody else does. Right. 
Because often that's something that I've come across in my personal life. People will come at me and say, not everybody can be as positive as right. you can be. And it's like, okay, I understand that. But right. I also recognize that I'm still struggling with certain issues as well. That's right. And it's completely that's right. natural for everybody to have to kind of navigate those things in their own way. Right. Right. So, you know, to kind of take this to my personal side, um, you know, being light-skinned, dad, black, mom, white, I've dealt with the racial justification, if I can use that word, in some of these social settings. And it's kind of hurtful, to be honest, because, you know, having your legitimacy in any phase, if it's you as a person or you as a professional challenged is very daunting sometimes, and it can wear on you. And so, you know, my heart goes out to you and everybody else who's gone through this shared experience of being like, I'm here for the right reason. I'm showing up as myself. And yet I still have to justify exactly who I am and why I'm here. That stuff can weigh super heavy and that's tough. And, you know, sometimes it was tough and it's like, you know, you walked into a place and, you know, some people didn't even have a pot to piss in, but you're still asking me a question. I Mm -hmm. was like, is this a joke? I want to make sure you're okay. Yeah. I came to you. Yeah. That's all I'm going to do. Right. Exactly. Okay. (laughs) I mean, and and deservedly so. And it's just like, you know, we're kind of at a point in culture right now where, you know, there's so much division in society that sometimes, you know, these type of conversations have to be had. And one of the reasons why, you know, I look up to you so much is because of how you navigate the space, you know, you moving from these different places being in Atlanta, being a business owner in that space, now moving to Mississippi. A couple of weeks ago, there was a incident that happened with you that you post on LinkedIn. And to see the way in which people rallied around you because of how you were treated because of your skin color was amazing. And to see that there are so many people who are willing to be like, Courtney, I'm so sorry that that happened. But naturally being a, yeah. being a black man in that situation, you know, sometimes it feels very transparently like people don't realize that these things still happen. Correct. So well, that's why I posted it. Right. So one of the things and, and full transparency, you know, you, you're always going to get a hundred. Mm-hmm. I don't always post about racial issues or thing or political issues. I don't, but I do believe that my voice is very loud. Because when I do, it's powerful. Mm-hmm. Because you all know that I don't. I am extremely positive. I do brush that off. You didn't hear until you are on this podcast, right? That I always had to interview, sometimes with other people. I'm not in that negative space. Right. But what I do hear and what I do see is a lot of times we're not having the conversation. So when it happened, yeah, I posted about it. Because I wanted you to know that even though so many people, right, might think I'm great, which is hilarious. Well, I I, I think I'm great, but still, you know, it's kind of like, <laughs> it happens to me. So before we move a little bit for, closer, mm-hmm. for people who are listening to this today, can you kind of give us, if you don't mind, the sure. synopsis a you know of what exactly happened sure, to you? Sure, sure. So I went to New Orleans um, with one of my friends and her, and so we had children with us. So this is very important. Um, actually, one of my friends is Muslim, but she appears or appears as she is completely Caucasian. See? So that's another thing. Looks are always deceiving. She is something different, but you know, it's deceiving, right? Right. So 
as we were walking to the car, um, my son was actually getting a piggyback ride. And I'm so thankful for that moment. And the reason is, is because she ran ahead of me, if that makes sense, playing with him. Mm-hmm. So then her daughter was with me and the dog, Luther. Yes. And Luther was in a stroller. Okay, everyone, I am that extra. <laughs> so Luther was in the stroller. And um, I remember that she was doing something with him. And so I was like, and I saw this man like quickly, like come around. It was kind of like, you know, oh, this is danger kind of. Yeah. It was broad daylight. This is like 12 noon. Okay. In New Orleans. And he starts coming, like charging me almost. And then he like, he says like, you know, the N word and he says some more things. And I just kind of looked at him and I had this like thing, you know, kind of on my face. And then I looked at her daughter and she was like almost in tears because she had never had that happen. So I taught, I kept it as a moment to teach her something. I am not going to go off on this man because he's not worth it. He's not worth my time. Right. I mean, my dog's in a stroller, you know, so I was explaining to her because she asked me, she said, you know, are you okay? And I said, yes, this is not anything that needs a reaction at this time. It's not, he didn't look like he was doing very well. So that to me is a reflection on what you're doing. Now, obviously, if I felt like it was a threatening, you know, like almost physical harm. Yeah, that's completely different. Right. But names do not define me at all. Now, did it take a long time for me to realize that? Of course, like a five-year-old is not going to know that a 10-year-old, 15. We know that, but right now at 42, names don't define me. The first time I was ever called that was when I was 16 years old and I was traveling with my junior Olympic team. And that devastated us. We like, were so confused on why anyone would say that. Yeah. But moving forward to that time, it was such a, a moment of, you just don't know what you're talking about. And I'm just going to keep going. Right. But this did happen to me and I need to tell people because I think a lot of people look at me and they think, oh, that would never happen. Oh no, it does. And it still does. And things like this are still alive. Yeah. Right. So when I post about stuff, I might not post the negative all the time, but I'm posting it. When I do post it, you're going to listen because I don't post that often about things like that. There's purpose behind it. That's right. That's right. It's uh, those, those moments are so tough because, and my heart goes out to you and my heart goes out to the little girl who you were with as well. Yeah. She was so devastated. Because often in those moments, you have to be the bigger person because if you react in those situations, you're almost playing into the moment. And so, you know, my heart goes out to people who experience these types of experiences because it's not easy to kind of eat that often. You know what I mean? It's much easier to have the privilege, I guess you would say, to be able to react and lash back out at people and try and put people in their place. But once again, you've also recognized and articulated in this conversation that you represent a small group of people in our society as African-American people who are doing things that don't have the privilege of reacting that way. 
And so, you know, whenever I hear a story like that, it's like instantly like, oh, my heart sinks because I know how, how tall you had to sit in that moment, not to play at somebody else's level, but you led by example for that little girl. But unfortunately she was exposed to that culture that still occurs on a daily basis. And thank goodness, because my son is a recorder, everybody, you know how they're recording everything. He was way up there. So he didn't hear it. Yeah. Because that might have really hurt me. That mm-hmm. I don't know how I would have done. Yeah. I'm going to be honest, because I would know that I would have to bring that to him if I. Mm-hmm. My friend's little girl learned that at 16, that it actually happens and not just on TV. I don't want, I didn't, I, I still don't, I don't want my son to know that at five years old. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a sense of innocence that you deserve at that age, which is super important. I just recorded another podcast with uh, another person who I've networked quite well with on LinkedIn named Joe Lemon. And he was talking about, you know, the representation issue that we see around us sometimes means that we have to overperform. And, you know, sometimes the thing that I love and why we are so lucky to live in the age of 2022 is we have the internet in front of us. So if we run through the same exact scenario, but the year is 1985 or 1974, then Courtney has to go through that experience by herself. And she can share that shared experience with the people who can relate with her in her community. Now the community that we can represent and we can confide in is so much larger. And so the internet plays an incredibly powerful role in being that echoing chamber to bring purpose to conversations like this because things are still happening. And it just is so sad because, you know, my dad is turning 60 years old today, the day that we're recording this, and he's an amazing man. He spent so much time making so many sacrifices and taking his family, my mom, me and my sister from Seattle where we didn't have a lot of representation and current statistics say that there's only like 1.2% of black owned businesses in that state or in that city moved to Detroit. I spent time in South Carolina. Now they live in Las Vegas where it's more culturally diverse, Mm -hmm. but you need to have the sense of community around you in order to have those types of conversations. And so that's why I'm so glad that we can leverage a platform like LinkedIn to get the support that you truly deserve in those moments, because it's a horrible thing that happens. Yes. Because when I posted that, I had no idea it was going to be that, that much of um, a reaction. Yeah. I, I didn't, but it, it got a huge reaction. And, I, and I'm happy for that mm-hmm. because it does. And in and, and, and some of my comments, it even says, oh my gosh, I didn't realize, right? And that is what I wanted to remind you. Yeah. So, right? You see me positive and I was smiling, but you don't know what happened five minutes ago. You don't know that I had a webinar in 15 minutes for that, right? That I had to buckle down and get it together and do it in my car, right? You, you, didn't, you don't know those things that we have to overcome before you see me. Right. So I wanted you to know what I did before I showed up, right? So that you understand that we're still, we're still out here. We're still fighting out here. Everything is not perfect. It is, I believe every, every day that I'm alive, things are better. Yeah. They could be so much better. They can be so much better. I mean, the conversation, and this is why I feel like it's so important for us to touch on these topics. Although often people kind of shy away from these yeah. types of conversations. I think it's important because there are other people who are out there 
who are recognizing through listening to this episode that these things are still happening. But they might be recognizing it extra because they see how you show up. They see how I show up on the platform and they can recognize that like, oh, wow, I didn't understand that there's so much underneath the surface that is occurring. So what would be some of your advice for people who on the topic of there are always going to be things that are happening on a daily basis that you do not recognize? So how can we show up as a better supporter, a better person to humanity in general to create a better environment for us all to be safe? Does that make sense? Yeah, gosh, that's a good one, Keenan. Well, I feel as though the more knowledge, the more safe we are. I hope that makes sense. So as I explained what happened in New Orleans, now that person has the knowledge and then they have the understanding and then they know the reaction or, or how to react or, or however. It, it blows, it's like a snowball effect, right? So it's almost like that contact tracing, right? So they, they saw it to me and then it goes around and they start having these conversations. So that's why I think that these things are important because if we don't have the conversation then it's not touching anybody and they don't, they, people don't realize that it's still you know, happening. And, you know, it's the same thing with any type of even massacre or, or whatever. You have to keep it alive by talking about it. Yeah. Right. Things are lost when we don't continue to talk. And just because we talk about it doesn't mean that it's negative. I'm calling and I'm talking to you because it's educational, because I want you to remember. So I'll explain this one thing. Hopefully this is okay with you. So my parents are here. Don't tell them, but they were born in the 40s. Right. They don't tell them. They'll be so angry. But if you do the math, that means that my mother and my father grew up in segregation. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I always tell people is talk to people who grew up there in that time. And I'll tell you why. It's so interesting. My dad still does things today because of things that he had to do when he was a little boy. And it's amazing. And I'll, I'll give you an example. So my father still makes me sandwiches, okay, wherever I go. So if I go anywhere, even on a plane, he makes a whole sandwich. And I used to, like a teenager, right, being like ridiculous. Yeah. Why is he making me all this? This is ridiculous. Well, you know why? Because when they traveled, they couldn't stop anywhere. They didn't know what was safe. They didn't know if they could use the bathroom. They couldn't use the public restrooms all the time. They couldn't go to that restaurant. It wasn't for them. So he makes sure that I have food so that I'm safe. Yeah. That man is still alive. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, if you think about that, he, when he was born, African Americans could not vote. Yeah. They, had, they did not have schools that were together. That, that is not what happened. There's a statement, there's a statement that I often think about, which is um, you think about some of these events that have happened in our society, some of the memorable things we talk about, like JFK, we talk about like Martin Luther King, and you think about these things from a timeline perspective, and your parents are a perfect example. That was not that long ago. And the one thing that I kind of get concerned about, and I had a very amazing experience an incredibly intense and vivid experience marching in Los Angeles when George Floyd and all this stuff was happening at the very beginning of 2020. 
And so all of the people of the United States stood up and we protested and we did these different things, these different events. But there was always a thought in the back of my mind that I hope this conversation continues on because there's so much rapid pace to get to the next thing in our society that sometimes that's a threat to ideas of sustainable change. And I recognize that because I look at everyone who I see around me on a daily basis and everybody is glued to their phones. And we are slowly but surely from social media and all of these other hyper intensive, addicting Mm -hmm. types of experiences, forgetting the things that happened not that long ago. And so it's very difficult for us to have a true understanding and experience of the things that happened unless we talk to the people who have been in that space, because instantly we kind of forget things. And I'll do something to the audience right now. Betty White passed away some time ago. And unfortunately, right now is probably the first time that you are thinking about her since she passed away and the impact that she had on people and the ability to kind of create an experience with so many people was something that was so memorable. But the way in which our society moves forward today, things get buried from all of the likes, all of the comments, all of the content, all of that kind of stuff. And so that's why I think it's just so important for us to have conversations like this, because it brings these type of things front of mind, which is where they need to be. Right. And I do live in Mississippi. So it was a little difficult to get them here. Yeah. They were very concerned. Can we talk about that? So, yeah. you know, your fiance, like you said, got a promotion already pick up a new he job. Did. Okay. He so so congratulations to him. Super yeah. happy. Um, but what was kind of the experience like for you? If you don't mind me asking now we're talking about moving yeah. to Mississippi, you have those type of family experiences where you identify that your parents are a little bit uncomfortable that maybe you're there. So Absolutely. how did you kind of navigate those experiences and how'd you kind of, you know, cross that bridge, if you will. So we moved here, right, because of job. That's fine. I also, you know, I can work anywhere. A lot of my stuff, obviously, is online. Mm-hmm. It was difficult. You do think about Emmett Till. You do think about the the bombing of Montgomery. You do think it's right next door. Yeah. And again, my parents are in their 70s. It's not that long ago. So for me to be ignorant enough to say, oh, everything has changed. It's not the same. That's not necessarily the truth. I'll give you an example. I went now, just so everyone knows my family is extra. Okay. So we had to go to the park and my son is driving his power wheel because it's like a Range Rover. Okay. Uh-huh. Cause that's what we're doing. Now we're in Mississippi. We realized that we stuck out. We understand that. So we got there, he drove there. He wanted to drive his car. And I was actually on Clubhouse and I was um, speaking about like healthcare and, you know, like what I did. And there was a gentleman, you know, kind of next to me on the other bench. And when I got off the phone, um, my son was playing with his, his, with his child. He literally came out and was like, what do you do? And I was like, oh, well, I blah, blah, blah. And we kind of got talking and I told him, you know, I was from Rochester, New York. And, you know, we moved here and he asked me, well, how did you get to New York? And (laughs) like, how did your family from the South get to New York? Right. Right. But what's interesting about me is I don't really get upset and, or, um, I want people to ask questions. Right. 
I would rather you ask a question than assume and go your whole life and not ask a question. I love it when people ask me a question. Yeah. So yeah, it was a little awkward, but I was like, uh, the industrial revolution. Like I went all the way back there, but I'm a history person. So I know he was like, this lady is crazy. Yeah. But <laughs> we kind of went, you know, through history again. And but you could see him looking at me was like, what is this? Like, wait a minute. This is so, you're so intelligent. Like you're an outlier. Yes. And so I said, well, I think, you know, all of us are, but it's always the way that, you know, you, you present yourself. And also like, I'm just going to be honest, I'm not scared. Does that yeah. make sense? So I'm not saying that people are, but I'm saying I've grown up in different cultural situations. I've been to Singapore, I've been to Europe, I've been to a lot of different places that a lot of people haven't. So I've had to like, um, you know, infiltrate myself into certain cultures. So when people ask me a question, I'm not necessarily, I, I always try to take it from the positive that you're asking me a question, not being demeaning. Right. But that instant, he kind of looked at my son and I and was just like completely confused. And then we drove away in our Range Rover. Yeah. Right? Like with my son's car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I get a lot of um, that, but I hope that I'm, you know, also helping people for, for those that feel as though they had to be silent there, you know, maybe people are now like, oh, well, you know, that's the wrong kind of thing to think. Right. Cause I just spoke to her, Yeah. you know, maybe they don't want to speak to me and I get it. Right. I've had a lot of privilege as well to be in different places. My parents have put me in a lot of uncomfortable situations through charities or just travel right so I had to figure it out um but yeah navigating that space was a little bit difficult and we're doing this on the playground y'all on the yeah. playground <laughs> you know you would think this is somewhere else no we did this we had this whole conversation in a regular <laughs> moment yeah. yeah yeah I mean that's just one thing that um I recognize personally when I spent when I moved from Detroit Michigan in 2009 to South Carolina oh. I spent time with a lot of people from Marion from Columbia mm -hmm. from all the different areas of South Carolina and one of the things that I found was common was first of all the um, one thing that I never thought I would experience in my lifetime was people referred to me from being from Michigan as a Yankee Oh, yeah, and so <laughs> that was something that was very interesting to me yeah, yeah, yeah. that was to navigate. I was yeah, like, okay, like, I was like, are we still talking about that? Wasn't that? Yeah, back what in, happened? Was that know? done? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, we won, right? We yeah, won? exactly. Okay. And so that was something that was interesting <laughs> to me. But people also started to say, um, you know, I moved from South Carolina to Las Vegas. And so often there are a lot of kids and people who I was surrounded with who said, oh, well, I've never actually left the state or left the county of Conway or of wherever I'm from in South Carolina. Right. And so naturally I started recognizing that I like you have been privileged enough to be exposed to different environments. Grew up, born in Seattle, grew up in Detroit, South right. Carolina, yeah. Las it's Vegas, Hawaii. Now I'm going back yeah. to Vegas. So it's like, I've seen these different cultures and it's been incredibly beneficial. But one thing that I want to kind of tie this in was we had a conversation about the internet a little earlier. 
mm-hmm. you know, one thing that's happening in education in general is there's so much content being put out into the world that there's such an opportunity for people to expose themselves to ideas, to people, to things that they never thought they could experience because of the ability for us to be able to connect like this. And that plays a huge role. And I think about, you know, when your son is going to be growing up, he's going to be exposed to a world that is so different from your parents that they can't even really fathom what's going on. No. Yeah. Not at all. That's incredibly interesting. Yeah. So before we hopped on today, you also said something about, you know, um, navigating the educational bias, if you will, in the state of Mississippi. So your son is at a pivotal point right now where he's entering into his younger years in school. Can you tell people about kind of the experience and making sure that he gets access to the appropriate part of education and why that's so important to you? Yes. So historically, and even right now, um, I believe that Mississippi is ranked about 49th in all of the 50 states, I believe. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it's 48 or 49. Um, so it's not very, it doesn't have a good track record. Doesn't mean that it doesn't have good schools. We know we got Ole Miss. We know we got the universities, but I'm talking about the actual education system. Um, education is so important because this is when, you, when you're reading, right? This is how you um, start forming um, friendships or, or what does that even look like? Um, this is the beginning and the start of even your whole self-esteem to me, you know, is, is the educational system. So what I want to do is I want my son to get the best that I can give him. Um, and this is how I feel. And, you know, let's feel free to, you know, discuss it. But I feel as though if you're able to afford, you know, a private school in certain circumstances, go ahead and do it. And the reason is, is because I feel like there's certain leverages that you have in a private school. In a private school, you're actually paying for that education. In public school, yes, you're paying for the education. We get it, but you're paying taxes. It's not really going from hand to mouth, right? Right. But if I'm paying that school to service my son, which has given him the education, if something happens, we're able to really have almost a business and a discussion about it, right? There's not all of this bureaucracy and all this stuff. That's not happening. I don't have to go to the school board. I don't have to go anywhere. I go where my money goes, which is right, right, right to the head honcho of what is about to happen. And I don't only believe that for my son, but I believe that he also needs to be appropriate with other people as well, right? So it's, it's twofold. I want him to understand what are your boundaries? What are you supposed to be doing as a friend and as a person in the society and what other people you should also receive? I want to filter what he receives. I don't want him to be sheltered, but I also don't need him to be bullied by certain stigmas that might actually you know, happen. Um, one of the things that I tell people all the time is we all know our children. So if you know your child and you know what what environment that they can live and they can't live in, then try to put them in to one that they can thrive if you can. Um, there's differences, you know, in public school. I went to public school, but I was in a completely private school district, like, if that makes sense, right? So and, and there's different disparities, right? Just even in the public school system period, wherever we are, right? Some lack so much funding because people can't pay the taxes that are needed for the school. We get all of that. 
So as I kind of, you know, came here, I did a lot of different um, research and I tried to find, you know, the best schools that I could get him into and we were able to do that. But the point of the matter is, is I want to have control with what comes in to his ears, to his self-esteem. And I think that that's my job, you know, as his mom, I know he's not going to pay attention to me when he's 15. Okay. But right now I'm everything. Yeah. Right. And I want him to feel good about himself. As he deserves. In school districts, sometimes they don't. And they're told certain things yeah. and he still might, and he still will be that stuff is still, that's a school thing, but I want him to have his best foot forward. And that's what we're, you know, trying to give him because the school systems are, you know, a little bit different, you know, than what we came from, but I know it would be a really tough adjustment for him here. Yeah, there's a lot of those fundamental key experiences that happen early in life um, really dictate how we perceive certain situations. I'll give you an example. When I moved to Michigan in 1997, I was seven years old. I went to a private school named St. Paul's Lutheran in Northville, Michigan. And now this school was K through 12, and it had 104 children in the entire school. Okay, so this was a private school, which was great. I went through first, second and third grade there. And unfortunately, I was not getting the education that I deserved. And some of the fundamental experiences, unfortunately, caused me to perceive asking for questions um, as a negative. And so I was in third grade and I was in Miss Walsh's class and I could not, for some reason, understand these basic math problems. And for some reason, the small tight knit environment in the public school, when I would ask questions, I started getting reactions from kids around me and they're like, oh. Keenan's asking right. another question, you know what I mean? And it's like, I never realized it until I got older, until I got out of school that I still look at, or I did right. more so then looked at asking questions as a weakness right. because of how it was framed for my early schooling experience. Right. But now that I'm older, I recognize that like the smart person is the one who asked the question. There's a famous saying, okay. I don't know if it was Confucius or not, but he was like, um, a smart man asks a question one time and deals with the ramifications and understands knowledge. A dumb person never asks a question at all and is absent with that knowledge for the rest of their life. And so being able to ask certain questions and then, you know, prioritizing that to make sure that we understand situations fully um, is a superpower. It really is just like asking for help, you know? Yeah. And that's all we do. That's why, but also on the receiving end, right? As, you know, African-Americans, Black people, people of color, let people ask you questions. Yeah. Don't get all upset. They see the man, I promise you, had no idea. He missed the industrial revolution. Okay. He missed that whole error. Okay. But I, I told him that, right. I could have been like, "Ah, you know, oh my God. Yeah. Let's not always be offended. Yeah. If people are asking a question, really take it genuinely and answer the question. Yeah. Right. We have to do it too. That's right. You know? Yeah. Being able to answer questions to help other people get into a better situation is kind of how I listen to you say that. Um, It's so important to be the eyes and ears and sometimes the source of knowledge that people deserve um, Mm -hmm. in certain situations. One thing that I would love to ask you kind of as we wrap here is how 
are you looking to navigate the rest of 2022 in your new place? What are some of the priorities that you're kind of outlining for yourself, knowing that you're taking on so much? You're in a new place of transition. You're in a new place of business as well. How are you kind of prioritizing getting through the next six, seven months here of the year and how you're kind of going to hunker down and create some consistency in your life? So the one thing for my reset, so I have kind of like different periods of time. Um, so I'm ADHD. So I do segments of like my life. So I kind of break things down. So this, this first two weeks um, is a huge transition. My parents are here. So I'm going to lean on them and their support to help me um, while I even take a nap and know that my son's still going to be alive once he's, once I take a nap, my son's very yeah. Okay. That's a true statement. I mean, trying to keep him alive on a daily basis. Um, so I'm going to do that, but also during that time, I'm creating a whole bunch of content, right? Because I'm creating, you know, and finishing all of the courses that I have that will open up in June. So June is going to be like my happy new year, if that makes sense. And my renaissance, you know, for, you know, healthcare and business, I've been doing healthcare and business this whole time, but I didn't realize that's what it was. Um, I'll give you an example. People tell me, hey, my billing, my billing, but really it's your workflow. You're not taking, you know, co-payments and you have horrible policies and procedures. It's just showing up as your billing. I was, I was doing the reaction. Now I'm going to be proactive, right? Yeah. So in order for me to fix that, I had to fix all of that stuff in their business. So now that's what I'm creating. Um, I'm also training for a half marathon. I'm scared that I'm going to die. Um, literally, <laughs> but I'm running it with um, one of my friends, Fallon, who's ran one before. Okay. So I am training with that. Um, I'm taking my health very seriously. Um, even though it was COVID, I feel like I didn't take my health seriously. I was just in the house, you know, like trying to hide from the pandemic. Right. Yeah. But now I'm like outside. So also using, you know, Mississippi, the state, it has amazing weather it's super hot but it's super it's like sunny you know like all of that cool stuff it has alligators I did see my first alligator I just have to document that I saw my first alligator it was away from me and I was safe but it has a lot of wonderful wildlife and great fishing so I do fish yeah I don't know if you know that um that's so cool so I love to fish um I'm actually uh back in the day um Keenan, you're probably just learning this. So I used to ride horses um, for a very long time. Um, I used to train um, uh, horse, uh, horses. So I actually was, um, it's hard for me to talk about because my best friend when I was little was, was an older guy. He was about 60 years old and he owned all of the Arabian horses. So oh I used to ride horses with him from first grade all the way up until sixth grade until he died. Um, and that was difficult because he needed insulin and he didn't ask us for it when we had the money. Does that make sense? So he didn't have the money. He just had his horses. And I guess he didn't have insulin for his diabetes and he didn't ask us for it. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I would say to him. Like, why yeah. didn't you ask us to pay for your medication? So he yeah. died of, um, he died of that, of what is it? Insulin shock or a coma, he went into a coma and died. Oh my gosh. But I say that because that's why I have such a love for horses because he taught me everything. I used to um, be, you know, competitive. I had my own horse as well. So I do want to get back to that because um, I think that horses are very spiritual. If anyone's ever been on a horse, there's something about it when you're by yourself 
um, they talk to you through that saddle. It's kind of like an avatar thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's pretty cool. That's cool. You don't even have to talk, right? You're just gone. And riding a racehorse, I, you should do that one day. I think I'm I too big. Ride race horses. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when I was in fourth grade and my mother would be like, oh my God, but I used to slow them down. They were tired. So we would slow them down for people to sell them, you know, for like ponies for kids, you know, or whatever, like thoroughbreds. But anyways, I say that because I want to get back like to like, kind of like the roots, like, like nature, um, you know, for running to me. And I talked about that in the beginning is something that's so refreshing. And that's when my brain is off. That's the only time my brain is off when I hear nothing. Yeah. Right. So it's very relaxing for me, even though I know it's strenuous for some people, but it's like a resistance thing. So if I get all my resistance out, then I'm able to relax for the rest of the day. So that's what I'm doing. Um, and then family. This year is all about family. Work will always be here. I'm not saying don't work, but don't do so much that you miss things. Um, we're seeing a lot of things where, you know, people aren't with us. Our time might be limited, right? So spend that time and make it happen because you don't get it back, right? Even for me, you don't know what could happen to me. I don't want anything happen to me. I got a whole child, okay? Yeah. Keenan, here you go. I don't know what you're going to do with that little black boy, but you're going to do something with him. But, um, you know, family is everything. And I really try to, there is no work-life balance. I mean, there is none of that. But we have to remember that we have so many things to experience and you don't want to go in that grave and not experience anything. That's a powerful message, even for me right now. Um, as I wrap up my time here in Hawaii, I can see the calendar only has tomorrow, next week, and then the week after that, I am back oh, that to, fast. yeah, move on June 2nd. So June 2nd, um, before this, actually the date in which this will drop, I will be on my way back to Las Vegas. And so that's going to be a big change for me. And that's something that I'm trying to remember because sometimes we get so caught up in the, the chase of it all that sometimes we forget to kind of pause and experience the ride while we get there, because it's not about, you know, how many days we were able to work, but it's how much life we actually get out of those days. You know, that's right. What did you get out of that day? Yeah. That's a powerful right. message. It really is. Well, Courtney, I can't thank you enough for sure. being here today. You know, Anytime. being open and being vulnerable enough to have this type of conversation was incredibly important to me. And, you know, thank you for showing up as your best self and be willing to kind of share your experience because I know that me and you both present as people who are incredibly positive and we have everything together, yeah. but we also, you know, deal with the ups and downs like everybody else does. And it's okay. important to recognize. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, what you see is not, um, looks are deceiving, right? So let's stop doing that. Yeah. Right. There's so many things that happen, you know, you see people and and they say, oh, well, that person, you know, either, you know, I'm going to go to my mental health side. So committed suicide, they looked fine. Stop doing that. Check on people. See, how are they? You haven't heard from them in a second. Hello. You might've saved somebody's life. Just, you know, having that little conversation. So that is the biggest thing for me. It's, it's family, it's your friends, it's people who, you know, help you be you. And one thing is, is I'm also going to stop in 2022 fracturing who I am for different sorts of situations and different 
places that I'm in. I'm going to continue to show up just exactly who I am. That's a powerful exercise in itself. And that's worth another hour long conversation, to be honest, because you know, know. We, all, we all struggle with that. Um, we really do. And showing up as your true authentic self is incredibly important because we need to be able to do those things. But as we, as we wrap here today, if people want to get in touch with you and they want to find more information about the great work that you're doing, um, how can they get in contact with you? How can they find you? How can they learn more about you? Sure. So I'm on all social media platforms and my name is Courtney and then it's H-A-R-R-I-N-G. So that's super easy because most people spell it with an E, but mine's an A. Um, so obviously LinkedIn. You will um, find me also on healthcareandbusiness.com. That's where all of my courses, my webinars, all of that stuff is going to um, be right there. And there's obviously a contact page where, you know, myself or my team or just, you know, direct message me on social media. Um, it might take me a second, but I promise I'll get back to you. Um, I tell people that all the time. Um, I do receive a lot of messages. So just, you know, and if I don't respond, please do it again. Because especially on LinkedIn, and you know it, it'll go like all the way down to the bottom. Like if you didn't get it soon enough. Yeah. And you're like, oh my gosh. And they're like, you didn't respond. It's like, because you were down at the bottom. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> you got to reach back out and bump it back up to the top. You know right. I mean? Exactly. So just reach back out. I am not too busy, too good to speak, to not speak to anybody. Okay. So just reach back out, but it's healthcare and business and.com. And it's going to be amazing. And I'm super excited. And thank you so much for having me on this episode. Of course. Well, thank you so much for coming. Guys, that's been another episode of the It's Telehealth podcast. Thanks for listening in. We'll catch you next time. Bye.